This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 44th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. Today, we're going to California to hit Disneyland, Disneyland, one of our favorite spots on the planet. And it also happens to not only be the happiest place on Earth, but Maybe the most haunted place on Earth. 999 Happy Ghost. Yeah, we know it's got at least that many in just (laughs) one of its buildings. (laughs) We're going to have a lot of fun today talking about the history of not only Disneyland, but Walt Disney, and get into the hauntings that are happening at Disneyland. There's a lot more than you might think. And we did also include in the show notes today a video that we talked about on a previous podcast. I believe it's from about five years ago that was taken off of the security cameras at Disneyland. And it's one of the most compelling videos I've ever seen showing a ghost walking across the property near the Haunted Mansion in New Orleans Square. That I would 100% agree with, because sometimes when I see ghosts, I'm like, okay, I can kind of see that face, or okay, I can kind of see a figure. But that video, in my brain, there was no doubt that that was a figure walking through the park. Indeed. To me, it would have been very hard to Photoshop because, as you had mentioned on the previous podcast, this is multiple cameras, and it follows it as it travels down from the Haunted Mansion through the gate there, walks down into New Orleans Square, and I believe at the end, it looks like it's walking across the water. I don't know. It's pretty convincing, and it's, it's kind of a figure of light. Right, so. yeah, so it's not like a figure figure. It is like light, but every so often you can see what appears Just to be like legs moving. Barely, yeah, yeah. So it's it's one of the most compelling things I've seen. So that is in the show notes today. If you go over to our blog, you can find that there. If you go to historygoesbump.com, you just click on the blog tab, and it is for the episode 44, Haunted Disneyland, and it's at the bottom of the show notes there. You can also find out everything else you'd want to know about the show there, where to find us on social media, where to listen to the show, how to contact us. Our archives are almost completed up there. I should be getting that done in the next couple of days. We also have our events starting to roll in for our road trip. We've got the one for Chattanooga up there. So if you live in that area, check out our events page to find out what evening and time we're doing that. Let us know if you want to join us. We also will have some other ones coming up. I believe in Louisville, we're going to do a cave tour yeah, the that me- happens to yeah, have a haunted. Yeah, it's mega cavern. The mega caverns. It's yeah. a mi- man-made cave that sits there in Louisville. Yeah, or I say sounded- it wrong, but... It sounded very cool, and of course, it has a haunting to go with it that we'll tell you about when we report on that during the road trip. 
But of course. <laughs> and we have a couple others that will be getting up there, so you can check out the events there. Also, if you'd like to donate to the show, you can do that there as well. We have either you can click on for donating at patreon.com, and there's right at the top there you'll find that. And if you scroll down a little bit, there's also a donate button if you want to do just a one-time or a monthly recurring one through PayPal. Either one of those work for us. Denise, if anybody wants to get a hold of us via email, where can they write us? They can write us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. All right. I think we are ready to go get on some rides and stuff. Let's go to Disneyland. Let's get some cotton candy and Mickey Mouse ice cream ears, too. like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com some of history's most famous figures had some really odd pets President Andrew Jackson had a foul-mouthed gray parrot. Unfortunately, this was revealed at his funeral when the parrot began cursing in the middle of the funeral. President John Quincy Adams had a pet alligator that he had been re-gifted by the Marquis de Lafayette. The alligator was kept in the East Room bathtub. Lord Byron owned both a wolf and a bear. When he was staying in Venice, a friend reported that Byron had the following pets there with him. Eight dogs, five cats, ten horses three monkeys, a crow, an eagle, a falcon, and five peacocks. Roman aristocrat Lucius Licinius Crassus kept a moray eel as a pet. He even put a necklace and earrings on the thing. French romantic poet Gerard de Navarre had a pet lobster. He had the lobster walked around the gardens of Paris on a leash. He wrote, quote, Lobsters are peaceful, serious creatures who know the secrets of the sea and don't bark, end quote. Well, they may not bark, but they sure are tasty. We love our furry pets, but the idea of keeping some of these weird pets is quite odd. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. John! This Day in History On this day, May 4th, in 1897, a fire rages through Rue Jean Goujon, a Paris bazaar. The fire started at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. The Duchess de Uzes and other prominent women were hosting a bazaar for charity at the location. This was something they had done every year since 1885. The bazaar was arranged in such a way that the booths would represent a Paris street. 1,500 people attended the event. The papers the following day reported that the fire started with an illuminating apparatus of the cinematograph that exploded and set fire to the Turkish curtains and hangings. So basically it was a movie that they had running. The whole left side of the bazaar was immediately engulfed in flames. People towards the front of the building escaped, but people in the back were trapped. There were doors there for employees, but the patrons had no idea. They weren't marked. 
people were crushed to death against the right side of the building. Firemen arrived and threw hundreds of buckets of water on the fire. It was no use. The building soon collapsed. Charred remains were five feet deep. The mansions in the vicinity became hospitals for the injured, of which there were hundreds. In all, 200 people were killed, including French General Minure and the sister of the Empress of Austria. You're listening to History Goes Bump. The Haunted Mansion at California's Disneyland Resort is one of the park's most famous and beloved attractions. What if that mansion were really haunted? Could it be? And what of the rest of the park? Could a park that was the heart and soul of Walt Disney go on without a spirit somehow sticking around? Disneyland was inspired by a dream to build a place where all members of the family could have fun, and this happiest place on earth has been fulfilling that dream for 60 years. Come with us on a magical journey as we share the history and hauntings of Disneyland. Walter Elias Disney was born on December 5th, 1901. His parents were Irish-Canadian Elias Disney and German-American Flora Call Disney. The name Disney is the anglicized version of Deisigny. The Frenchman Robert Deisigny was Walt's ancestor, and he had traveled to England with William the Conqueror in 1066. The Disneys had four boys and one girl. Besides Walt, there was Herbert, Ray, Roy, and Ruth. Walt was born in Chicago, Illinois, but the family soon moved to Marceline, Missouri, a town that would later inspire the main streets of all the Disney parks. Walt loved to draw and began his career early, selling doodle art to neighbors at the age of seven. A love for trains developed at this time, too, and Walt spent a summer selling snacks on the local railway. Herbert and Ray ran away from home in 1906, fed up with too much work and no pay. Walt started school in Marceline in 1909, and then the family moved to Kansas City in 1911. Walt attended art courses on Saturdays at the Kansas City Art Institute. During the week, he went to school and delivered the Kansas City Star newspaper. The newspaper delivery business was hard work, and Walt would fall asleep during his class due to lack of sleep because of the hours he kept. He would rise at 4.30 a.m. every day with his brother Roy and deliver papers until the school bell rang. Then after school, the boys would finish their route, which grew to 700 customers. In 1917, the Disney family moved back to Chicago, and Walt attended high school there. He became the cartoonist for the school paper. This did not last long as Walt dropped out of school at 16 and tried to join the Army. He was rejected for being too young, so he joined the Red Cross. He drove an ambulance for a year in France and covered that ambulance in cartoons. In 1919, Walt moved back to Kansas City and tried to find work drawing for newspapers. He was unable, but his brother Roy, who had become a banker in Kansas City, got him a job through a colleague at an art studio where he met fellow cartoonist Ubi Iwerks. The two men would go on to start their own commercial company together. The business was a flop, and the two men went back to working for another company, where Disney learned about animation and fell in love with it. Animation had started out as cutouts, but Walt soon found that cell art was much better. He recruited a fellow artist, and the two men began creating Laughagram shorts, which featured Aesop's fables, and they were screened at a local theater. Based on the success of these, Walt opened his own animation studio, but he was horrible with money and soon was bankrupt. You know, the thing I love about Walt Disney is he worked from the time he was a little kid. 
He just always worked really hard. He always would just go for stuff. He must have been one of the bravest men on the planet because he would just, I'm going to go ahead and start a business. He would just drop everything and start a business. And it was just amazing how he would do that. And he had so much failure in his life. And yet he just kept building. Well, and that's what so many people don't realize is that in order to succeed, if you talk to any of these successful people like Walt Disney, I'm sure if we could you know, interview Steve Jobs or any of them, they've all had more failure in life than success, but they just kept picking up the pieces and going for it and going for it. And then eventually it it hits pay gold or whatever. They become legends. Exactly. Walt did what all dreamers do. He packed up and headed for Hollywood. Roy joined Walt and they pooled their money to open a new animation studio, Disney Brothers Studios. In 1925, Walt hired Lillian Bounds to do the inking for the studio, and the two soon began courting and were married in July of that same year. The Disney Studios began with the Alice comedies based on Alice in Wonderland, and they were very successful. The shorts incorporated live action with cartoons. Just the first sign of the innovation Walt would bring to animation. Next came Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Walt was hired by Universal to produce the cartoons. These were wildly popular, but ended in another failure for Walt. He did not know much about contracts and had not realized that Universal had put his animators and the character Oswald under contract. When Walt went to Universal to request higher compensation, he was told that he could take a pay cut if he liked. When Walt threatened to walk, he found out the news about the contract. He walked anyway and lost Oswald and all his artists except for Ubi Iwerks. Oswald did return to the Disney family in 2006. Yeah, that was a pretty big deal. And I guess what had happened is um, ESPN must have had something to do with Universal and they managed to get the rights to it. So ESPN bought it and then it became part of the Disney family because they're all under the same umbrella with ABC and stuff. And Ubi Iwerks, his name will come up a lot and people will see his name in the windows on Main Street and such. This guy worked with Walt his entire life and he was under contract too, but somehow he was able to fight it or something. But he, he said, I'm not leaving Walt, so yeah, you guys well, can kiss my... <laughs> yeah, well, the thing I love too about Walt Disney is not only that was he a dreamer and that he kept going, but he also had had his like integrity. They're like, oh, you have to do this? He goes, ah, nope, no, I don't. I mean, mm-hmm. I really love it because what he did is he went in there and it was so successful. He's like, you know, I didn't get enough money for this. Like most people find out the hard way. You know, a lot of authors will go for, oh, you're going to give me just one check mm-hmm. instead of going for royalties, which you should always go for royalties because you don't know. It may go big and then you're stuck with nothing and the publisher or whatever gets all the money. And so that's what was happening with Universal. And he thought, you know, I'm going to go in there and tell them we need some more money here. And Universal knew they had all the control because he'd been naive about the contract stuff, which I think is completely unfair, and said, well, you know what? Not only are we not going to pay you more money, but we're going to cut how much we're paying you. Yeah. And so Walt was like, well, I'm leaving. And they <laughs> In said, your face, yeah. Universal. <laughs> he said, I'm leaving. They said, well, if you do, you're losing all this. And he said, fine. Yeah. But it was like the their little, if you lose all this, we're going to take all of this away from you. And he still was like, you know, I mean, granted, he signed into the contract. But again, with they, they prayed on the fact that he was naive about that. And so instead of working with them when they said, okay, you can leave, but this is that he, he stuck by his principles, even though mm-hmm. sometimes it's sometimes you get hurt when you stick by your principles, which he did. Exactly. When you know you're worth more money. And plus, I, I think he just didn't want to be under the contract of another company like that, you know. Yep, no, he's a free spirit, just like somebody else I know. Walt had a pet mouse, and he decided to base his next character on that mouse. 
He scratched out a cartoon mouse and named him Mortimer. Lillian thought the name was not cute and suggested Mickey instead. Ubi Iwerks reworked Walt's original cartoon and Mickey Mouse was born. So Ubi Iwerks is Disney too. I mean, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the movies, they were a lot of Ubi was the real artist here. I mean, Walt was an artist too, but he wasn't as good at drawing animation as the people that he hired because you're not going to see Walt doing a whole lot of animation. Well, the old saying goes, you're only good as the people around you, right? Exactly. And so what he did with Ubi is he hired somebody who was way better than he was. And he took, he took Mickey and just went for it. Of course, Walt himself became the voice of Mickey. He did that until 1947. Plain Crazy was Mickey's first cartoon, and it was silent. The first sound cartoon for Mickey was Steamboat Willie. It was a raging success, and Mickey soon was more popular than Felix the Cat. Silly Symphonies was the next animated outlet for the Disney Studios, and while they were successful, they were not as popular as Mickey. I mean, singing trees and flowers just aren't going to be like Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Betty Boop was on the scene at this time and started garnering most of the attention in cartoons, so Walt was ready to give up on his silly symphonies, until a man approached him and convinced him to try Technicolor in the cartoon Flowers and Trees. This guy had a camera that could do three colors, and he said, you know, it's an invention that I came up with, and I'd sure like to give it a whirl. Would you like to? And Walt said, all right, let's try it. Again, another innovation from Walt Disney when it comes to this stuff. It was a huge success, and Walt won his first Academy Award for the short. And I think this was one that they made up just so they could give it to him. It's going to happen again here. Another Academy Award was awarded to Walt in 1932 for his creation of Mickey Mouse. So again, they just came up with a special Academy Award for him. Yeah, it's kind of funny because, I mean, anybody who knows me, not to not to slam any other other places, but I am definitely a Disney girl. And so everybody was like shocked when I got a annual pass to Universal. They're like, is that legal? Are you okay? You know, are you going to live? It was kind of a big deal to go over and see some of the stuff. But it is funny that they're the ones that kind of stabbed Walt Disney in the back mm-hmm. and he walked. And yet when you, when you go over there, cause I, I had to go see what was going on at the other parts just to be well educated is, no, actually, I wanted to <laughs> see the Harry Potter stuff. stuff. <laughs> and it's very, very cool. It I, is very. I have to say, as much as Disney's got going for them, they've got nothing on the Harry Potter rides. Yeah. They are amazing. Well, of course, they can do that with just one little land when Disney's doing that with four parks and multi-parks across the world and many lands. Well, so. and the point that we made is that Disney tries to make it so everybody can go on a ride. Mm-hmm. And so you just can't get as crazy with some rides. Exactly, because it is about a family park. But anyway... As I was there, I noticed that somebody's name tags looked very familiar to me. A lot of the stuff they do looks very familiar. So even though they they were the ones that thought they had the reins, they're um, still flattering Walt Disney with trying to emulate what he has created. Well, and there would be no other attraction parks here, especially in Florida. And Universal always was following in the footsteps of Walt Disney. So with without the Disney parks, you wouldn't have your Universals and your Lego lands and that kind of thing. Six Flags got started really after Disneyland got started. So a lot of them base their stuff on that. And of course, that's why at the top of all of the attraction park lists are the Disney parks, because they just eclipse everything else. They're a lot of fun for your teenagers and stuff, but we even found going over to Universal... Now that we're getting to be a little bit older and can't do as crazy rides and stuff, a lot of the rides at Universal are motion rides, and you can only do so many of those in a day when you're older before you're like, okay, I've had enough. (laughs) 
Now, of course, we'll get all the mail coming in going, we love Universal. It's better than Disney. (laughs) (laughs) They can send the mail. But like I said, I'm a Disney girl through and through. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Oh, the the one thing is that, like you said, many, many of the parks have have come about to being because Walt really took that idea of a amusement park and changed it into the whole theme park. Mm-hmm. And that's where many people followed followed that that history. But the one thing and, and I love that we're flattered because the highest form of flattery is when people try to emulate you. Exactly. And I love that. But the one thing that one part, any of the other parts can never, ever have, no matter how much they try, is they don't get the legacy of Walt Disney. He is strictly Disney, and and nobody else gets his legacy like we do. Not to mention the character that we've been talking about here, Mickey, Mickey Mouse. It was Mickey. Um, oh, absolutely. When I'm at work and I see little kids, I'll start talking to them because I love little kids, and then I realize they don't understand a word I'm saying because um, they may be from you know France or South America, or so they're they're a different language, and they'll just be kind of looking at me. But as soon as I say Mickey Mouse. It doesn't matter what country these little kids are for. Their <laughs> eyes light up and they're like, Mickey! And so. it's funny, like we were talking about, they were on a train ride from this devastation that he mm-hmm. had from losing everybody to Universal. And I mean, it was like, what are we going to do? And he's on the train. And if anybody's seen the original drawing for Mickey Mouse, he was kind of ugly. He wasn't very cute. It was just kind of chicken scratched out. He had the little rat feet and everything. So it was really Ubi that said... Let's clean this up a little bit and made him the cute mouse that he is today. Yeah, but he's world-renowned, like I said. Everybody knows Mickey Mouse. Yes, indeedy. Other characters were added to the mix in the form of Donald Duck, Goofy, Pluto, and Minnie Mouse. Donald Duck would become the second most popular Disney character of all time. Sorry, Di. (laughs) I like Donald. He's okay. Okay. He's just got a really bad temper. (laughs) Of course, Goofy's my most favorite, so. Yeah. That's why I was saying she loves Goofy, although she kind of emulates Donald a little bit more when she can't figure out technology. <laughs> I do. I bring out my inner Donald when uh, yeah, technology like, wah, isn't wah, working. Wah. <laughs> and what do you do? You go, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> See, Donald could do that. <laughs> At this time, Lily and Disney gave birth to a daughter and three years later adopted a little girl. The next big thing for Walt became known as Disney's Folly when he developed a full-length animated movie that is today the beloved classic Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The film was in production for three years when the Disney studio ran out of money. Walt showed investors a rough cut of the film and managed to get the rest financed. The film premiered at the Carthay Circle Theater on December 21, 1937. The film was a huge success and won Walt another Academy Award. More movies followed, and as they say, the rest is history when it comes to the animation and Disney Studios. Yeah, I figured if we got into all the history of the movies, we'd be here for hours and hours. We'd be here for the rest of our lives because Disney Studios, well, everything Disney is still creating. Exactly. You just see things coming out left and right. And now with everything that they own from the Marvel Empire to... Star Wars. To the Lucasfilm and Star Wars Empire and Pixar. It's just what they can do now is just amazing. I mean, I think it would probably blow Walt Disney's mind to see what has become of everything that he had started. Well, just the parks, the cruise line. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything, you know. And of course, two of the people who thought that this was going to be Disney's folly 
were Lillian Disney and Roy, Roy Disney. Disney. Neither one of them wanted him to do Snow White and the Seven Dwarves because it had never been done before. Again, another innovation. You cannot get people to sit down and watch a cartoon for 70 minutes. Well, and I want to put in a little bit here, too, is that my hat goes off to both Lillian and Roy Disney because really without those two, none of this could have happened either because Lillian, could you okay, take a minute, if any of you are married or in a partnership, how would you like every other whim that your partner come home saying, I just put mortgage everything, I just mortgaged <laughs> the house and put everything up for this other dream that I have, you know, to make something else that has never been done. You know, looking hindsight, we can see that, but can you imagine going forward like some weird thing that it's like, what in the heck? And so they were constantly living in that like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we could lose everything or we could gain sense. And so Lillian was right there by his side. And then Roy, the financer, of all of his dreams, you know, Walt would say, I want to do this and this and this. And Roy would be with, I'm sure with his calculator going, okay, how are we going to make this happen? How are we going to make this happen? But he would make, he would make his brother's dreams happen because he was the one who knew contracts and finances. Exactly. Walt was unsatisfied in one area though. He would take his two daughters to parks and watch them play on the merry-go-round. He would think to himself that it would be fun to ride with them and that there must be a way for a park to be built that all family members could enjoy together. In the late 1940s, he began sketching out ideas about such a park. Walt started Wed Enterprises and transferred a small group of employees from the studios to the new company, and they were dubbed Imagineers. He directed them to design the park and make sure that it was encircled by a train because of his love for trains. Originally, the park was designed to be next to Disney Studios in Burbank, California. The area was only eight acres, and the group knew that eight acres would not be enough land. In 1953, a search was conducted for an area that would measure 100 acres and be inside the Los Angeles area near the highway. And the land would have to be cheap because Disney only had so much money. The perfect spot was located in Anaheim, California. Wed Enterprises ended up purchasing a 160-acre orange grove in Anaheim. Now they needed money to build the park, and investors were skeptical. Talk of flying elephants, moon rockets, giant teacups, and magic was not catchy to bankers. Walt needed to do something else to get financing, and he decided to turn to television and share with America his vision. Walt Disney's Disneyland began airing on television, sharing details about the development of the park. ABC, which had just gotten started, agreed to help finance Disneyland if Walt aired the show with them, and construction began on Disneyland on July 21, 1954. This was only a year before Walt wanted to open Disneyland. The citrus trees were removed along with 15 houses. Walt planned out five separate areas in the park that would be their own land and designed the main street, that people would enter through to resemble the turn of the century. Other than Main Street USA, the five lands include Adventureland, which Walt described as a, quote, an exotic tropical place, a land that would make this dream reality. We pictured ourselves far from civilization in the remote jungles of Asia and Africa, end quote. There's Frontierland, which Walt described as, quote, all of us have a cause to be proud of our country's history, shaped by the pioneering spirit of our forefathers. Our adventures are designed to give you the feeling of having lived, even for a short while, during our country's pioneer days, end quote. There's Fantasyland, which Walt envisioned as a place where dreams come true, and he said, quote, What youngster has not dreamed of flying with Peter Pan over moonlit London or tumbling into Alice's nonsensical wonderland? In Fantasyland, these classic stories of everyone's youth have become realities for youngsters of all ages to participate in. 
end quote. At the helm of Fantasyland is Sleeping Beauty Castle. Tomorrowland is the next land, and the Imagineers struggled with this because Walt knew it would be obsolete the minute it was built. Of Tomorrowland, Walt said, quote, Tomorrow can be a wonderful age. Our scientists today are opening the doors of the space age to achievements that will benefit our children and generations to come. The Tomorrowland attractions have been designed to give you an opportunity to participate in adventures that are a living blueprint of our future, end quote. Modern-day Disneyland includes Mickey's Toontown, Critter Country, and New Orleans Square. All of which I love. <laughs> New Orleans Square is my favorite place. Mm-hmm. Especially the bread bowl. Soup in the bread bowl, the clam chowder. And you've got, I mean, it looks like a New Orleans square. You've got Pirates of the Caribbean there, the Haunted Mansion, the Rivers of America is right there behind you. It's just a gorgeous area. Yeah, it's fantastic. Nurseries from San Diego to Santa Barbara were emptied of their plants as Disneyland was loaded up with greenery. The Rivers of America was carved out of the soil and a bed of clay was laid down to hold the water. The Mark Twain riverboat was moved piece by piece up the highway. The amount of money spent bringing Disneyland to fruition topped out at $17 million. 20 attractions were complete when Disneyland opened. Disneyland officially opened on schedule on Sunday, July 17, 1955. Opening day was televised on ABC, and only invited guests were supposed to be in the park. Unfortunately, counterfeit tickets had been made, and 28,000 people were at the event. Drinking fountains did not work because of a local plumber's strike, Traffic was backed up for miles on the highway, and the temperature reached an unusual 101 degrees, and the asphalt laid down for Main Street was not dry, so women's high heels were getting stuck in it. The day seemed as though it were a fiasco, and Walt's big dream was a failure. But as we all know... God, stop. (laughs) (laughs) You can really tell that Denise loves Disney and her job. For people who have been listening to the podcast for some time you've probably figured out that denise is a disney cast member and uh, she gets quite emotional about her job (laughs) she loves her job but as we all know that was far from true the opening day for the public was monday and people had lined up at the front starting at 2 a.m things went much better this day as disney and his staff worked to rectify the problems of opening day food and water were made more available a fun fact about disneyland is that this is where doritos were invented The Casa de Frito Pavilion figured out a way to use crushed tortilla shells so they wouldn't go to waste. They called the snack Doritos, which means little golden things. Frito-Lay saw how popular they were and went on to produce them in mass. And of course, now we know Doritos is a big deal, especially during Super Bowl time. In 1959, the first tubular track steel roller coaster was installed in Fantasyland, the Matterhorn Bobsleds. The first audio animatronics were used in the park in 1963 inside the Enchanted Tiki Room. By 1965, Disneyland had seen 50 million visitors. Walt Disney passed away the following year in December 1966 from lung cancer. Walt Disney's legacy lives on, and some wonder if his spirit continues to live on this side of the veil. Not only does Disney's spirit seem to hang around the park, but the spirits of others seem to be here too. Above the fire station on Main Street is an apartment where Walt Disney really did stay sometimes. An eternal candle is burned in the windows to signify that Walt is still there. Some claim that he really is still there. A cast member was dusting the apartment once and she turned off the lights when she was done. When she got outside, she glanced up and saw that the lights were on again. Thinking that perhaps she had not hit the switch hard enough, she returned and turned the lights off again. She glanced up after exiting, and once again, the lights were on. 
She marched back up to the apartment and reached up for the light switch again when she heard a male voice say, quote, Don't forget, I am still here. End quote. Some say that this is really why the candles left burning in the window. Yeah, so we've always been told on the tours that we take that it's just to signify that, you know, Walt is still there above the apartment hanging out. They never tell us that they really do think he is still hanging out there and they want to, you know, keep him happy by keeping a light on for him. Well, kind of funny. I think their exact words are that the spirit of Walt is still here. Yeah, and most but, people don't <laughs> take it as literally. <laughs> they take it as still it, there. But it could be very possible. Walt also had an office on Main Street behind a magic shop. The room is now used for storage, and when people go in there, they claim to get an eerie feeling and that there are cold spots in the room. The Emporium on Main Street has a storage room above it as well. A cast member claims that she was in the stockroom near the hangar wall, and something jumped up and spooked her from behind. When she turned around, no one was there. New Orleans Square has stockrooms above several of its shops, and cast members claim that not only Walt Disney haunts them, but also his wife Lillian and some other female ghost that calls herself Mary. The exclusive Club 33 that is located in New Orleans Square is also reputed to be haunted. A figure is seen near Sleeping Beauty's castle after closing hours. Could this be Walt walking through, just as he had so many times before when he was alive? Oh, which is one of the pictures we have in our bedroom. Indeed, we have that on our wall. I would have loved to have been able to meet Walt Disney. That would have been phenomenal. So I'm glad he's still here. The haunted mansion may have finally gotten its 1,000th ghost. Anyone who has ridden aboard a Haunted Mansion Doom Buggy knows the famous verbiage of the ghost host inviting the rider to join the 999 haunts already in the mansion. A young boy who loved the Haunted Mansion ride died and was cremated. His mother wanted to spread his ashes at his favorite ride, but of course Disneyland refused. Imagine the health code violations with that one. The mother went ahead and spread them inside the ride anyway. Unfortunately, this has happened many times with the Haunted Mansion, and surely these people must know that their loved one's ashes will just be swept up and tossed with the trash. Apparently, the little boy's spirit is still inside the ride. Odd noises can be heard in the dark transition tunnel before guests board their doom buggies, and the young boy's apparition has been seen several times near the ride's exit. The ghost of a man with a cane is also seen in the mansion. His story is that his plane crashed into the lake in the 1940s near the site of the mansion, and he decided to take up residence in the attraction. A man in a tuxedo has been seen in the area where guests disembark from the ride as well. Usually cast members see him out of the corner of their eye, and when they turn to look, he disappears. One cast member quit after having this chilling experience. A young man died in the attraction on grad night. He stepped out of his doom buggy and tried to step from the walkway to the seance room display. He did not realize there was a gap between the areas and fell 15 feet to his death. Is his ghost still there? Who knows? And this, of course, is one of our favorite rides. I love the Haunted Mansion. I've loved it ever since I was a kid. And, of course, they've updated a lot of it. And at Disneyland, it's really cool because at Christmas time, they transfer it over to the, the nightmare, nightmare before, before Christmas. Yeah. And I was just going to going to say you know for anybody who does do our beloved attraction that's just part of the thing like this poor kid from grad night don't really try to become the thousandth ghost (laughs) exactly you know i've seen a picture too where it looks like there's a young boy's apparition poking out from one of the doom buggies and looking back at somebody who took a picture it does look quite ghostly but if you were taking a picture of somebody leaning out of the doom buggy and you had maybe night vision on your camera or something you'd get the same kind of effect, I'm thinking. So I don't know about that for sure. But 
I've heard the story of that young boy many times. And unfortunately, it's not just uh, the Haunted Mansion. It's also Pirates of the Caribbean. They get a lot of people who want to dump ashes. I don't know why. I'm like, you do realize this is a public area that you can't just, you know, if it's outside in nature, the ashes will become part of it. It's not the same thing when you're inside of a ride. And I'm like, you know, you don't need to dump ashes somewhere for somebody's spirit to be there because they think some of the people that are at Disneyland didn't necessarily die there. It's They just loved it so much. I could see you haunting the place, Denise. Well, that's what you've often said is that someday they'll look out at the Polynesian and I'll be sitting on a bench and they'll be like, that's not like her. She would never sit down on, on stage and they'll come up and I'll have expired. <laughs> Diane says I'm going to die there. So sorry, guys. Attractions are run before the park opens to make sure everything is operating properly. Cast members ride aboard the boats on the Pirates of the Caribbean to make sure things look good and the track is running smoothly. One morning, a cast member claimed that a young child rode part of the way in the boat with him. The child disappeared and had not been on the boat when he boarded the ride. A young boy-type apparition was once caught on the cameras inside the Pirates of the Caribbean as well. The Blue Bayous, the restaurant inside the ride, and cast members claim the restaurant is haunted. The ghost is apparently that of a man. I mean, I can see all of these because that's another one of my favorite attractions. So I could see somebody who had so much fun and, and it transported them so much in life not wanting to stay there in death. And the Blue Bayou is oh, so yummy. good. You got to get their Monte Cristo there. Mm. Or anything. It's really good. <laughs> Disneyland has hosted grad nights. And one year, a senior boy was dared to swim across the rivers of America to Tom Sawyer Island. He took the dare, but drowned before he got to the other side. His ghost apparently now haunts Tom Sawyer Island. Another story is told that two boys hung out on the island until after closing. When they tried to swim to shore later, they also drowned. Spirits of children have been seen running and giggling on the island after it is closed. Cast members search for the children but never find them. Maintenance workers do not like to go onto the island after dark. That cave is pretty scary even in the day. Black parts of cave. I'm, I think it's kind of scary. You don't want to run into Injun Joe in there for sure. A young mother was once killed on the Matterhorn bobsleds. She undid her belt so she could turn around to see her children, and when the bobsled made a tight turn, she was thrown from the ride and hit by the bobsled coming behind the one she'd been riding in. Her name was Dolly, and people claim her spirit is still at the bobsleds. They named the area where she died Dolly's Dip. And now a lot of people are probably thinking, people die at Disneyland? And yes, indeed, it does happen. We've even had, in the time that we've lived here, about 20 minutes from um, Walt Disney World, there's been a couple of cast members who've died in accidents. Just, you know, it happens, unfortunately. And and that that is one thing I do want to say here is Disney is completely known for safety as the number one thing there. But, you know, you can't help when people do things that don't. So when you go to the parks, you know, try to help us with that safety. Keep your Be belt on. Well, yeah, or, you know, trying to swim and stuff because, I mean, accidents are not 100% preventable, but we do really, really... It just tears my heart up when anybody even gets a stub toe at Disney at the Disney parks. And so spread the word and help us keep the parks safe because that is our number one that we want because we don't like this stuff ever, ever to happen. Of course, It's a Small World would have to be haunted. Nothing goes better with creepy dolls than hauntings. Several of the dolls have been seen moving on their own when the ride is completely shut down. The people mover that no longer is open at Disneyland was haunted by a young man who tried to jump from the car. He got caught under the ride. He'd been riding with his blonde girlfriend and now makes appearances to blonde girls on occasion near where the ride used to run. Girls claim that he tugs on their hair. 
Debbie Stone was a cast member who was killed at the America Sings attraction in 1974. She was new and did not know how the attraction worked. Guests sit in a theater that moves in a circle. Debbie was crushed between two walls when the theater shifted. Her ghost was said to haunt the attraction shortly after her death. Her ghost is still seen in Tomorrowland, and they do have a memorial plaque for her there as well. Disneyland is a favorite spot for many people. Have some of these people returned to the happiest place on earth after they have died? Is Walt Disney still watching over his beloved park? Are some cast members still working here even after their death? Could Disneyland be the most haunted place on earth? That is for you to decide. Well, I know it's one of the most fun places on earth, so hauntings just add to the fun. Absolutely, and and that is the one thing um, that I do want to to put out there is that I'm not speaking at all as a as a representative um, of of any of the Disney parks with this podcast. This is just another fun one we did with history and just putting some of the stuff that's out there out to you you all our listeners. So don't please don't go around saying, oh, well, she's a professional on all this stuff. As, again, it's just another history thing that we're doing for fun, just to see what else might be out there in the afterlife. And we want to thank Julie for suggesting it to us. Yes, I, thank you, Miss Brammer. I posted the video up on our Spooktacular crew page, our uh, group page that's over at uh, Facebook. We'd love to have you guys join us there, because that's where we post a lot of this fun stuff. And she said, oh, is this an idea for a future podcast? And I went, well, now that you've suggested it, it sure is. So... There you go. For our next one, this one's going to be creepy. Way creepy. And um, <laughs> FYI, this is not my idea. It is your other host, Diane, student. We are going to do the history and haunting of dolls. So should be good. We're going to go cover the island of dolls, and we'll get into talking about a lot of the different haunted dolls that are out there. And you'd be surprised, just as you're probably surprised with all the tragedies that have occurred at Disneyland. How many haunted dolls are out there? I know from watching the original Poltergeist, which I am looking forward to the new Poltergeist coming out. I'm sure it's going to be far better than the cheesy one (laughs) that was made originally. But that clown in that thing, I mean, that gave me nightmares as a kid. I Clowns are just... the, The only clowns that don't really creep me out are rodeo clowns. Yeah. Rodeo clowns are fine, but circus clowns sometimes, like, they just start weirding me out. So the only clowns I like are the ones that are being chased by bulls, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> They're risking their lives for people. So there you go. Yeah. I like rodeo clowns. They don't creep me out, but all the other ones do. Oh, well. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us for this broadcast. We look forward to having you join us on the next one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, 
You impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.